Hey guys, this is Chelsea Eithoven and you're listening to Vibrancy Radio. I spent the better part of two decades in pursuit of shrinking my body, but diet after diet, I still never felt enough. And I don't know about you, but the last word I would use to describe myself while on a diet is vibrant. After becoming a certified health and nutrition coach, I finally dropped the diets, learned to trust my body again, and rediscovered the vibrancy that was within me all along. And now I help women like you do the same. Vibrancy Radio is your new go-to resource for science-backed nutritional knowledge, major mindset shifts, and body image breakthroughs. So if you're ready to stop feeling so dang stressed about food all the time and start focusing on all the things that make you unique and vibrant, then welcome to the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Vibrancy Radio. It's your host, Chelsea Eithoven. And today we're going to do kind of a quickie. I'm not going to dive super deep in today's episode because I just wanted to give you some quick concepts and three things that you can stop doing today to improve your health and relationship with food. And I'll give you what not to do, and then I'll give you a quick way that you can implement, something that you can implement today to actually start implementing these into your life, okay? And this is for my ladies who have done a lot of diets in their past, maybe their weight yo-yos up and down, maybe they do the all or nothing thing where during the week you're eating really quote-unquote good and then all weekend you're eating really quote-unquote bad (laughs) and it's just this cycle that feels really difficult to get out of. So these three tips are going to or rather these three things to stop doing are going to help you get out of that cycle and make some of your health habits a little bit more consistent, okay? And some of these are mindset shifts and actually all three of them are kind of mindset shifts. So this isn't diet tips, right? It's not going to be drink more water, take more steps, things like that. It's going to be habits that will take a long time to cultivate, but you can start today with a small change. So at the end of this episode, you'll have three actionable ways to improve your health and relationship with food and three things that you can stop doing and what to kind of put in their place. So let's dive right in. The first thing to stop doing to improve your health and relationship with food is calling foods good or bad. Oh my gosh, I could say this one till the cows come home, but it's really, it's a hard habit to break. So if you're doing this, then don't feel bad about yourself. This is something I did for a really long time. And even after I stopped calling foods verbally good and bad, the habit continued in my mind. I still had some hesitation around eating some of those foods that were bad cooking with things that are higher calorie like butter or eating the real version of things like cake versus the macro-friendly version made with protein powder. 
So I have compassion for you if you're in that spot. I just want you to know that right now. And this isn't something that's going to happen overnight and you're not going to listen to this podcast and be like, I'm cured. No foods are good. No foods are bad. All foods are morally neutral. (laughs) It takes time and it takes gradual steps. But if this is something you haven't thought about before, then let's talk about why this is kind of damaging your overall health and definitely your relationship with food. So in my health and wellness practice, I practice all foods fit. And it is my belief that a healthy diet is a varied diet. And that's for multiple reasons. So first of all, different foods have different benefits on multiple levels, right? So when we're talking nutritional value, the nutritional value of chicken breast is very different than the nutritional value of a piece of whole grain bread. And that's very different than the nutrients you're going to get from broccoli or beets or corn or carrots or or bok choy or anything, right? There's all these different micro and macronutrients that are so beneficial to us. And when we're kind of cutting out tons of different foods, we're missing out on a lot of those benefits, right? Even thinking about things like different kinds of benefits, not even on a nutritional level. We also have to think about the benefits on a mental, social, and emotional level, right? So there's those foods that have varied nutritional benefits for our physical body, but then other foods have emotional benefits and social benefits, right? So if you have a family member that is so dear to you, let's say your favorite aunt and she always cooks these specific cinnamon rolls on Christmas morning or something like that, then that's a very emotionally satisfying food to eat. And when you're on a diet and you're bringing your (laughs) bringing your egg whites to breakfast because you don't want to eat those cinnamon rolls, you might be missing out on some of that social and emotional aspect of satisfaction. Food is not just fuel. And even if you do think of it as just purely fuel, then like, can you think about it as fuel for not only your physical body, but maybe your mental and emotional body as well, right? And again, all foods fit does not mean that you're sitting and eating those <laughs> those cinnamon rolls all day, every day, or that you're just eating completely for social and emotional benefits, but you're also eating for nutritional benefits. It's just a nice varied balance in the middle. And that's what All Foods Fit means to me. Now, the psychological impact of calling foods good and bad also is really important to note. Something to know about the brain is that the brain actually, there is something happening in our brain that makes us want what we cannot have. So I know that just seems like a silly little phrase, right? And when you think about it, you think about like, when your middle school crush was the guy who guy or girl that you didn't really like you, but you kind of like secretly liked him or her from a distance and you knew that they would never be interested maybe, but that was who you liked, right? You want what you can't have. There's a million examples of this, but there's actually a reason for this on a psychological level. So dopamine is one of the chemicals involved in happiness. So when something is unpredictable, then when we actually receive that, the dopamine hit is way 
way, way higher. Versus when we get something on a pretty regular basis, it, the dopamine hit is lower. If it's something we enjoy, it's something we're lower. It, the dopamine hit is lower. So that's because the brain kind of gets used to that reward. So thinking about an example, let's think about when you're on a diet, right? Let's talk about how it works with food. So if you call a certain food bad, then you're, let's say it's, let's say it's ice cream for you. Like ice cream is bad. You can't have real ice cream. Then your brain is going to be craving that dopamine hit so much because it knows the dopamine hit is going to be so much more intense that it's going to be super satisfactory and you're going to love it versus when you are allowing yourself to have ice cream on a regular basis, you're eating ice cream all the time, you know, you know you can have it at any time, that dopamine hit is not going to be as intense. So I hate to say this, but when you start practicing all foods fit, these kinds of foods do get a little bit less exciting. Don't get me wrong, they're still delicious, but you'll sort of notice that it's just not as exciting, you know? And another way to think about this and an example outside of food is when you're trying something new, a new skill, and you get a new skill for the first time. Now, what I'm thinking of is like when I was, you know, I like to do lots of physical activities that are, you know, I do aerial silks. And when I get a new skill for the first time, it is like, super exciting, right? It is the coolest thing ever. I'm so excited. And then eventually, now that I've, you know, when I've done a skill over and over and over again, I'm like, oh yeah, that was, is fun, but it's not as big of a deal, right? And I'm sure you can think of a million examples in your life when this was the case, right? And so you have to know that that same concept is going to happen with food and you're going to start kind of not obsessing over these foods as much when you stop calling them good and bad and putting the bad foods, quote unquote, off limits. And something else I want to talk about, if you do have lots of quote unquote bad foods on your list, right, of like, oh, well, I can't have gluten and I shouldn't be eating dairy and I shouldn't be eating sugar and I shouldn't be eating whatever. <laughs> There's a million things in today's diet culture and <laughs> the way that things are happening in the nutrition space that could be leave you thinking something is bad. So if you do have lots of these bad foods on this list, does this mean that you never eat them? For most of you, my guess is likely no. You do end up eating them at some point, right? Whether it be the weekend or vacation or just when you can't control yourself anymore and you can't fight with more willpower anymore. So what does that imply when you do eat these foods that you call quote unquote bad? Typically, it's probably going to be guilt or a negative emotion, right? And what that's going to do is when you eat this food, you're going to have guilt and a negative emotion and you're actually going to have a physiological stress response in your body. You're going to activate your stress response, create cortisol, release cortisol in your body, and you're going to, what that does, first of all, is that it's not good for your digestion. When we are in a stress response state, then we don't digest as well, which could cause digestive upset, which 
Side note, sometimes I think that we think these foods make our stomach hurt. And for some people, they very much do. I'm not discounting that certain people do have gluten intolerances, dairy allergies, you know, lactose intolerances, allergies to certain foods. That's absolutely 100% the case. But from personal experience, I do not have any insensitivities except for legumes. Legumes do make me very bloated. (laughs) But I think a lot of people experience that. But I experienced a lot of digestive upset after I ate these foods because I was activating the stress response in my body because I felt so guilty for eating them. So you could be activating a stress response in your body and therefore causing digestive upset. And also the likelihood of overeating these foods is so much higher because it's if it's a quote-unquote bad food and if you can't have it the next day and you know this is your last chance to get some in before you can wake up tomorrow and be perfect again, then what are you going to do? That signals your brain. We might as well go ahead and get as much as we as much as we can now. And so your likelihood of overheating is much higher. And that's also going to increase the odds that you're going to give yourself a stomach ache, right? And something else with calling foods good and bad. I, and I'm hesitant to use this phrase a little bit, but I do think it's very representative. With anything, it's with most things, it's not the poison, it's the dose. And why I'm hesitant to use this phrase is because I'm not calling food poison. I do not think any foods are poison. I don't think sugar is poison. I don't think anything... in our food markets today is actually poisonous unless somebody poisoned it. (laughs) So if you're not eating the apple from Snow White, your food is not poison. But this comparison is really helpful in looking at this concept. So anything in too large of doses is toxic, right? And, And is not good, which is why I like to live my life in the messy middle when it comes to nutrition and exercise and really honestly, pretty much everything. I think going to extremes almost always ends up not benefiting us in the long run. And I say in the long run, because a lot of times, sometimes it looks like it's benefiting us in the short run, but in the long run, it's actually going to end up backfiring. So anything in too large doses is not good for you. So yes, eating junk food all day, every day, never eating vegetables, and just taking all foods fit and making that mean that you're going to eat donuts and pizza and pizza rolls and all that all day, every day is not going to be healthy for your body, right? And some people think intuitive eating is that. That's not what intuitive eating is at all. And I say this, and I'm not an intuitive eating coach. I don't teach intuitive eating, but I do think it's super important for people to know that. I don't know anybody who really, any nutrition or health expert that recommends just fully letting it all go, you know, like never eat vegetables, never eat protein. Even intuitive eating is not all about that. But on the, let's look at the other end of that, right? So eating only healthy, quote unquote, healthy, quote unquote, good foods is actually a form of an eating disorder and it's called orthorexia. Orthorexia is the eating disorder. I don't have the exact definition right here with me, so forgive me if it's not perfect, but it is the eating disorder that is essentially obsessing about only consuming healthy foods and having lots of fears around food and 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 fearing eating anything that is not 
quote unquote, perfect or healthy. That is actually a eating disorder called orthorexia. So it's kind of ironic, but obsessing about your health could be actually hurting your health. So just to kind of sum up the first thing that you can stop doing to improve your health and relationship with food is calling foods good or bad. Now, the second thing you can do to improve your health in relationship with food is that you can stop doing is negative self-talk. One of the biggest mistakes that I see women make on their fitness journey has absolutely nothing to do with food. And what it actually is, the biggest mistake I see, is that they think that they can bully themselves into having more confidence. And this is so common for several reasons. I mean, first of all, I think the media and being constantly inundated with images of bodies and images of what we quote unquote should be and should look like is definitely conducive to this negative self-talk when we look in the mirror. And that is in fact, not what we see. But what I want to talk about is actually a the human brain. So I always like to bring it back to the human brain and understand what's happening in there <laughs> with things like that. And the brain actually has a tendency to notice the negative and discount the positive. And this is because of survival reasons. So something to always remember is that we have, we as humans have a prehistoric brain even though we're living in a modern world. So our brain has truly not evolved that much from our Paleolithic ancestors and and the very first versions of humans that were living in caves and hunting and gathering. Our brain is pretty similar to theirs. And so our brain is wired for survival. And if you're thinking about survival, what is beneficial to focus on for survival? Is it beneficial to focus on you know, smelling, stopping and smelling all the roses and noticing the beauty and looking at all all the things and noticing everything that's going right in your life? Or is it more beneficial, again, we're going back in time here, to notice, you know, the tiger that's running after you (laughs) or to remember that fire burns you and can kill you or to remember to be careful when you're crossing the river because that could be dangerous and, and one of your family members, you know, drowned or something like that. That's kind of morbid, sorry. But just thinking about it, the brain is wired to notice the negative. And so this is what I notice overtaking so many women's fitness journeys, right? They want to talk about every time they messed up and every time they were quote unquote bad. And they want to talk about everything on their body that they can't wait to change and how they looked in the mirror and they felt fat and they felt gross and they they don't like this and they don't like that. Now, because our brain has that tendency to notice the negative, we actually have to actively work to overcome this. And again, same thing with calling foods good and bad. This is not an overnight change. So give yourself lots of compassion here. It takes time. Now, why does this matter? It matters for several reasons. Let's talk about two big reasons why stopping negative self-talk will help you improve your health and relationship with food. 
So first of all, if you are an emotional eater or a stress eater on any level, which I used to identify as an emotional eater for sure, then you're going to, if you're having this negative self-talk, right, even if it means you get on the scale and you see the scale is up a couple pounds and you're just beating yourself up and thinking of all the things that you shouldn't have eaten and how you should have gone to this exercise, even though FYI, the scale has pretty much nothing to do with that (laughs) most of the time, right? It's not a direct correlation from day to day. But so you you are doing this negative self-talk. What kind of emotion is that bringing up in you? It's not normally bringing up the butterflies and rainbows, right? That's bringing up some kind of negative emotion, whether it be stress or sadness or again, that guilt or just being unhappy with the way things are right in the here and the now, right? Just dissatisfaction, some kind of negative emotion. And again, with our brains, when we feel a negative emotion, we are wired to seek comfort, right? Again, this is something else from our prehistoric brain that we are wired to seek comfort in times of stress, anxiety, negative emotions. And it makes sense from a survival perspective again. But most of the time in today's day and age, what does seeking comfort look like for us? If you do feel like you have a tendency to emotionally eat, then maybe you're going to drive yourself to crave those foods because you're craving some kind of comfort. And if your main way of comforting yourself is some kind of comfort food or alcohol, a glass of wine, something like that, then you're actually creating more reasons for your brain to kind of go towards those foods, regardless of whether you're hungry, regardless of whether you actually want them, but just because you're seeking comfort. So that's one reason I think negative self-talk can really backfire on a fitness journey. And the second reason is because of the law of attraction, because of manifestation. And we get, I'm not going to dive super deep into this, but we get really deep into this in the vibrancy guide. There's like the whole last five weeks is dedicated to law of attraction and energetics and learning all about that and how to use it in your fitness journey. But essentially, we attract more of what we already are. So if you want more confidence in your body, then you've got to find small ways to feel confident today. If when you reach your fitness goal, you want to be looking in the mirror and finding all the things that you love about your body and noticing them and feeling really good about where you are, then you've got to practice doing that today. You've got to start today because this is essentially just another habit for the brain, right? You've created a habit of noticing the negative every time you look in the mirror. I used to have this habit. My habit was look in the mirror and I looked straight at, and I know when I noticed this, sometimes we don't even notice that we're doing it. Actually, the case with most automatic habits. We don't notice we're doing it. But I noticed afterwards, I looked in the mirror and what did I look directly at every single time was I was checking to see if my love handles looked any different than they did yesterday. (laughs) And I'm sorry if love handles is a triggering comment for anybody, but that is what I used to call them. Now I just call them my hips, right? (laughs) But I would just constantly be checking those areas to see if they looked any different. And actually, This is another side note, but it's kind of interesting. When I lost weight, most of the time, it would be the same version of my body. The shape was the same, but the 
size was different. And so I'd never, until I started realizing the difference between weight loss and body recomposition, actually changing the shape of my body and not worrying as much about the scale, I was always disappointed because it always looked the same. I was like, dang, these aren't going away. (laughs) And so anyways, my habit was to notice the negative. And if you've created that habit, then you might get to your goal weight and still be in the habit of automatically looking for and finding all of the things that you do not like in the mirror. Because trust me, if you're looking for them, you will find them. Now on the opposite end of that, what can you do to kind of change that? You can start looking for small things that you do like in the mirror, right? Focus on what makes you feel good. At and in the beginning, in the beginning, I don't care if it's your pinky toenail. <laughs> it could be the smallest thing in the entire world, but the the work is to practice looking for something that you like and that you think looks good. So, this and this You know, we talk about body neutrality as well inside the Vibrancy Guide, but this is taking it a step farther and really retraining that brain to look for things that you actually enjoy about your body. If you are looking for it, you will find it. So to increase confidence, we want to focus on what we do feel confident about. Something else that you can do to increase confidence today and to stop that negative self-talk is to find small ways to feel confident today. And another way to do that is find a piece of clothing or wear something that makes you feel confident today. So that may not be the same thing that you're going to feel confident about when you reach your goal weight, right? So you it might not be short shorts and a crop top or something, I don't know. But if you have a sundress that you feel really pretty in and it makes you feel super good and you feel confident about your body in it, then wear that so that you can cultivate that feeling. And throughout the day, feel that feeling, right? And instead of that negative self-talk, just using small habits and small changes to start creating more positive self-talk. And the last reason this is important is, and sometimes this is the thing that clients are like, all right, that's enough reason to stop my negative self-talk, is that those stress levels, that negative self-talk, again, is going to create negative emotions, create a stress response, and it's going to release cortisol in your body. And cortisol is actually creates an effect inside our body where we hold on to body fat. So if that's what motivates you, then I want you to be aware of that too, (laughs) because I know some people, they're like, all right, that's all you had to tell me, (laughs) right? If I'm doing something literally that physically affects my body, sometimes we forget how interconnected the brain and the body really are. They do have an effect on one another. So that is reason number or habit number two that you can stop doing to improve your health and relationship with food is negative self-talk. And the last habit, the last thing to stop doing to improve your health and relationship with food is eating out of habit instead of hunger. So this is why I always say that in my programs, I mix discipline and self-compassion because in order to change any habit, 
it does take a level of discipline for sure. You're changing an automatic habit. It's You're going to feel some resistance at first, but this doesn't mean that we only focus on discipline and again, like just fight for it and willpower and, you know, all that. Not it's This isn't necessarily the mindset, right? It's just trying to get rid of some of these habits that might not be serving us and replace them with ones that are serving us better. So some examples of when you might be eating out of habit and not hunger. First of all, it's gonna be different for everyone, but for some people, maybe it is having dessert right after dinner. For some people, maybe it's having a snack at 2 p.m. every single day. So those are two examples of time-based habits, right? After dinner triggers you to eat dessert around 2 p.m., that time kind of triggers you to have a snack regardless of whether or not you're hungry. And then there's other things that can trigger automatic habits too, right? Like emotions. So maybe when you're stressed, you you eat you eat sweets when you're stressed. That could be a emotion, emotionally triggered habit. Or you eat whatever is in the break room at work whenever there, somebody put donuts or stale cookies or whatever <laughs> sitting in the break room. Whenever you feel compelled in the moment to eat something, regardless of whether or not you're hungry, you just go ahead and go for it. These are all examples of times that you might be eating out of habit, not hunger. Now, there's an important side note here that these will totally happen sometimes, right? Regardless of how far you come, there are totally going to be times that you eat out of habit, and that is 100% okay. And especially in the beginning, it's, it's worth noting that in the beginning, this will happen a lot, even when you're trying to break these habits. It'll still happen a lot until you just get, you get the hang of it. It takes time. Everything takes time. But it is Again, totally okay if sometimes you're eating out of habit and especially when you're eating out of habit because of self-care, right? So there's always a caveat to everything. And the caveat to this is sometimes you have to eat out of habit because of self-care. For example, if you work at a place that you can't eat at any time other than noon, right? Then you need to eat at noon. Or if you're just too busy throughout the workday to eat any other time besides your lunch break, regardless of whether or not you're hungry, the the thing to do out of self-care would be to eat when you have time to eat, right? So we don't always, always, again, want to take things to the most intense level and be like, well, I wasn't hungry at noon, so I skipped lunch and now it's 7 p.m. and I'm starving, right? That's not showing yourself self-care. So that's the little caveat to that and also that sometimes it'll totally happen that you eat out of habit. But if you have a ton of habits that are happening, a ton of, of eating habits that are reasons that you're eating just out of habit and not physical hunger, that can lead to us not feeling best in our physical bodies, number one. And number two, not feeling like we can even trust our bodies, right? Like if we're not even used to feeling hunger anymore, we can forget what that feels like and forget how on a physiological level it's supposed to be, right? You're supposed to feel hunger and that signals you to eat. Your body knows when you need fuel. Just similarly, like when your car tells you when it's getting low to refuel, you don't refuel every time you see a gas station. You refuel when your car says it needs fuel. (laughs) So it's kind of like that. I like that comparison to think about it that way. 
And a lot of us, though, have formed these automatic habits around food, and we have no idea how to change them or that we even can change them. And that is a recipe to start to feel, that's like the starter pack of feeling out of control around food, right? It's like, gosh, I just can't help it. It's this automatic habit. I can't control myself. These kind of, again, hand in hand with the negative self-talk, right? So something quickly that I want you to know about eating out of habit, not hunger, I'm not going to go into the whole habit loop. I believe I did that on another podcast, but real quickly, I just want to teach you one concept, and that is that neurons that fire together wire together. So all day, every day in your brain, neurons are firing off. Every time you have a new experience, you have something that happens with your five senses, your neurons in your brain are constantly firing. And when you continually fire two neurons together, I'm probably not saying this in the exact correct way. So if you're like, you know, know everything about the brain and you want to correct me, please feel free to do so. But from my knowledge of it, that when when two neurons fire together, so for example, every time you eat dinner, automatically you eat dessert. And you've done that multiple times. You've fired those two neurons together multiple times. So eat dinner. As soon as you finish, eat dessert. And I say this because this one is close to my heart. I had this automatic habit for so long, like years and years and years. Well, when you do one, then your brain is going to want to do the other one. It's going to remind you to do the other one. So every time you eat dinner, your brain is going to be like, hello, you're forgetting something. You're forgetting dessert, (laughs) right? And I always like to take it to a non-food example too. So say your automatic habit when you see someone in front of you in your car, you're driving in your car and you see someone in front of you slam on their brakes. What is your automatic habit? to also slam on your brakes, right? You don't really have to think about that a whole lot because those neurons are just poop, poop, they're fired together and they now they are wired together. In the beginning, when you started driving, that might not have been your automatic habit and that was really a scary moment, right? <laughs> or, you know, we can think about this when it comes to habits and how automatic they are is just driving in general, right? You don't even have to think about it. You just do it. You get in your car, you put your foot on the brake, you start the car and you don't even think about that. You're probably thinking about 30 other things, right? At the same time. So this is what's happening when you're eating out of habit and not hunger. And it's not about being 100% disciplined 100% of the time, like diet culture would lead us to believe, right? It's about recognizing when you want something because it's out of habit like this, like the examples we're talking about, eating dessert after dinner or a snack at 2 p.m., or when you want something on a conscious level because it'll bring you some kind of satisfaction, right? And we don't want to get it confused, the relief versus satisfaction, because when you are eating out of habit, you'll be craving the thing or wanting the thing and you'll do it and you'll get a sense of relief versus satisfaction, which is like actual physical or emotional satisfaction from the food you're eating, whether it be physical hunger or that it actually will just bring you a little bit of joy in that moment. So 
Again, I'm not diving super deep into this topic or any of these topics because that's what we do inside the Vibrancy Guide and we just don't have enough time on the podcast. I don't want to be talking your ear off for three hours. (laughs) But an easy fix to try if you want to start switching out and stop eating out of habit and not hunger is to tell your brain that you are going to have that food or whatever it is that you're craving, but just a little bit later right? So let's say it is the ice cream right after dinner, or actually let's go with the snack at 2 p.m., right? And every single day at 2 p.m., you're in the same spot and you eat your snack. Well, just wait a little bit, right? Wait a little bit and maybe even change up the environment and try practicing not having that food right when you have the craving, right? And right when you desire it out of habit, but just waiting a little bit and changing up the circumstance. This is actually what I started to do with desserts is is changing up the timing, right? So sometimes I would have my sweets But I would still allow myself to have a dessert in the beginning. But sometimes I didn't do it every time after dinner. I would do it when I wanted it throughout the day. So say that hit me after lunch. Then I would have it after lunch. And that meant that I wasn't having it after dinner. Does that mean that I didn't have the craving for it in the beginning after dinner? No, I absolutely had the craving for it after dinner. But I knew it was because of the automatic habit. And once I broke that automatic habit and my brain stopped telling me to eat dessert every single day after dinner, then I could really tell the difference of when I actually wanted dessert and something actually sounded good to me versus me just fiending for it out of habit. So those are the three things that you could stop doing today to improve your health and relationship with food. And I'll recap those really quickly. Number one was calling foods good and bad. Number two is negative self-talk. And number three is eating out of habit instead of hunger. So I hope that this podcast was helpful for you. I said I was going to keep it a quickie. It's a little shorter than my usual podcasts, but you know me, I like to chat. But yeah, so I hope you enjoyed this and this was helpful for you. If you found it to be helpful, then please take a minute to leave me a rating and review and subscribe so that you can hear more. And if you want to check out more all about nutrition and health and some untraditional ways to change your nutrition and health, then check me out on Instagram at brightlightchels and let me know that you're listening in to the podcast. And I will talk to you soon. I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Full day.